0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 99 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and 99, holy crap, we're almost at 100. That is really exciting. But let's not get ahead of it, because today I have a fantastic guest and a great interview to bring your way. Today, my guest is Rebecca Cohen. She's the Creative Director and Principal at Co-Projects Design in Portland, Oregon, She's also an activist against gun violence and is one of the hosts of a feminist activist podcast called The End Times Podcast. Definitely go check that out. During this episode, Rebecca tells us about the introduction to being creative and the creative thinking that she had when she was younger through an aunt of hers and then also using fashion magazines as sort of still life models and drawing a lot. When she was older, she moved from New York to Portland to work at Nike, and she met her husband there. They had a child, and she went freelance, and then I'm going to stop there and let her tell the rest of that story because that's where it gets interesting. Recession hits, things go crazy, they start a business together, her and her husband, and things get super cool after that. Rebecca also tells us about projects that she is really proud to have been involved in. Things where it's just been so aligned with her beliefs, and they just really warmed her heart being part of these projects that really made a difference. Later on in this episode, she also tells us about projects that she's turned down because they didn't align with their beliefs, or the customer had something that just didn't feel right to her to support. Um, And that I found really interesting. And um, she talks about how easy that was for her to come to that decision. We also talk about the sometimes confusing gray area of working for clients where maybe the messaging and belief systems don't entirely align and how she handles those situations. That and so much more. This episode is just jam-packed. So let's get to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Rebecca Cohen. Here we go.
1: Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So are you ready for a Quickie?
0: Good morning, Rebecca. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for being on the show this morning. I'm excited to talk to you.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So are you ready for a quickie? I am. Perfect. Well, briefly tell the listeners about yourself.
1: Uh, well, I'm Rebecca Cohen. I'm a creative director, designer, and principal at a design firm in Portland, Oregon called Co-Projects. Um, I started this firm almost 11 years ago with my husband, Mark Koza. Um, we do branding, packaging, and print for Clients in a bunch of different fields like food and beverage, um, luxury interior products, and uh, banking, you name it. Um, and we're also now starting to branch into doing design for causes and candidates.
0: Oh, very
1: cool. Um, yeah, so we'll probably get into that in the course of this conversation. I hope um, so. I'm also a mother and an activist and a podcaster as well. I uh, co host a podcast called End Times Pep Talk. Uh, with two other uh, feminist activists here in Portland. It's a weekly political podcast.
0: Very cool. I like that intro. Wrapped it up nicely. Thanks. Um, So Co-Projects, you said about 10 years ago you started?
1: Almost 11. Yeah, we started at the end of 2008. So we're coming up on our 11th anniversary.
0: So before Co-Projects, tell me what was going on.
1: Uh, Before um, co-projects, well, I moved out to Portland from New York at the very end of 1999 Mm -hmm. um, to work at Nike, and uh, that was where my husband Mark and I met. We were both designers at Nike, and um, I was there for about seven years, and I left in 2005 when my daughter was born, Mm -hmm. and that baby is going to start high school tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um so I left shortly after she was born and I freelanced for a while and um Mark at the time had moved to a design studio here in Portland called uh Sandstrom Design.
0: Yeah, I'm familiar with him.
1: And yeah, Sandstrom does great work uh here in Portland and around the country actually. And in two thousand eight when the uh, financial crash happened, he got laid off. Bummer. So yeah, it was rough. Um so we just decided, hey, let's just start working together and see how that goes. And uh, we started co-projects
0: and 11 years later, we're still here. I didn't even do the math on that timing, but yeah, it definitely aligns with like that crisis time.
1: Yeah. You know, what better time to start your own business than when the economy, global economy is going oh. off a cliff.
0: <laughs> exactly. Goodness said it better. Um, yeah. Okay. So definitely moved from New York uh, to work at Nike. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned that your daughter starts high school tomorrow. My oldest out of three starts middle school tomorrow. And I think that's crazy.
1: It is crazy. Yeah. I mean, kindergarten was crazy and now here we are.
0: Yeah. It just, uh, it's definitely not slowing down. I'll say that.
1: No, I know it, it goes really fast. And I have, uh, two older stepdaughters as well who are 20 and 24. So this isn't my first rodeo and I know how quickly high school is going to go and it's freaking me out.
0: Yeah. I can't even fathom. I'm not even going to think that far. Yeah. So I want to go. Enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. I want to go back even further than your move from New York to Portland. And I want to ask you a little bit about your childhood. And do you feel that you had a creative childhood that maybe led you in this career path?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I did. I mean, I was a really creative kid, I was always drawing and making stuff. Um, I didn't come from a very creative family. Like my parents or my siblings weren't creative, but they encouraged me to make stuff and draw and be creative. Um, but actually like this question got me thinking about, you know, what influenced me in my childhood. And I had an aunt who was, um, a textile artist and a textile designer, my aunt Pamela. And, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but in hindsight, I think that she was a really big influence on me. She lived in Greenwich village and she had these amazing looms, weaving looms in her apartment. And she mm-hmm. had a giant drafting table with one of those big carousels of magic markers, like every Prisma color you could imagine. And like, nobody was allowed to touch it, but me. Um, and so I think, you know, having her as an influence in my life and having a family member who identified as an artist, actually, like, gave me a role model and, and made it possible to see that that was something you could do as a career.
0: That's cool. So she kind of showed you that it's possible. Yeah, exactly. And that exactly. sort of stuck with you.
1: Yeah, it wasn't considered, you know, weird. I mean, I have a lot of creative friends who were sort of discouraged from going into a creative field because they came from families who thought you couldn't make a living doing that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had this very tangible role model of somebody who did.
0: Definitely. So what do you think was the moment that you first started, you know, maybe noticing design out in the world? Was it your aunt that flicked that switch for you?
1: It might have been, um, not directly or consciously, but I think that that definitely like lit a spark. Um, I think a little later when I was in probably middle school, um, I started looking at fashion magazines a lot and sort of used them as life drawing models. I would just spend hours like copying the photographs in fashion magazines Mm -hmm. as like life drawing. And I think being kind of immersed in the, the those magazines I started noticing the design and the layout of them and it was the 80s and it was when you know Elle and Harper's Bazaar and Vogue were really they were redesigning themselves and it was kind of that era of when Fabian Barron redesigned Harper's Bazaar and the typography was really bold and the photography was really bold and I think that was kind of the first time I really started noticing design in its own
0: right. Mm-hmm. Got it so the magazines going from still um, sort of still life drawings, looking at magazine pictures, and mm-hmm. the Harper's Bazaar rebrand was a, was a pretty big deal for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So was there, would that stand out as being the most influential design of your life so far because it flicked that switch or is there something else that stands out like that?
1: I don't know about that. I mean, I didn't actually set out to become a designer. I, I went to art school to be a fine artist. I have a, um, bachelor's and master's degree in painting
0: wow that's awesome (laughs)
1: um but i i so i was really interested in fine art and fashion and music and comics and things like that and growing up in new york in the 80s um you know i would read the village voice voraciously even though i was just like a suburban high school kid i read it to see like what bands were playing and read music reviews and i started becoming aware of um the aids crisis and protest art that was coming out of that whole scene with like act up and grand fury and um the really graphic typography based protest art that was coming out of that scene which kind of led me to the gorilla girls which was kind of a um, anonymous decentralized uh group of women artists who were protesting treatment of women in the art world And their work was also just very graphic um, and very kind of punk rock inspired. Um, And so that, I think that was like a big awakening for me. And that led me to fine artists like Jenny Holzer and Barbara Kruger, who, you know, in hindsight, like a lot of the fine art that I was looking at was very graphic. Even though I wasn't planning to become a graphic designer, I think it really did influence me visually and conceptually. And so I think, you know, that really formed, you know, my formative years in the 80s. And then when I went to art school in the 90s, I think that really, unbeknownst to me, kind of formed my worldview. hmm
0: So through, I'm curious then, from the the painting world, you've got the degrees and master's in painting. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you transition or what was, the, what was it like transitioning to be more of that graphic designer role? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I kind of fell into it accidentally when I was I was in graduate school at Hunter College in New York, and um, you know worked a bunch of odd jobs and you know just the kind of stuff people do in New York to get by. And mm-hmm. a friend of mine from grad school started um, temping at uh, Ralph Lauren, okay. and she got me a job at Ralph Lauren, also temping, just doing whatever. Like it wasn't design based; I was just kind of helping out around the office and. Um, after I was there for about six months, they offered me a job as a graphic designer, like a production artist. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really didn't know how to do that. I hadn't studied that. I didn't have a computer. (laughs) Um, I just kind of faked my way into it. And I was lucky that the person who hired me didn't really understand how that stuff worked either. So I just kind of taught myself and faked it. I had done, you know, little design projects here and there, but they were cut and paste all done by hand. Um, and so I just kind of fell into it and picked it up pretty quickly. Um, but in terms of, you know, how my fine art background informed my my role as a designer, I think, you know, a fine art education is really based on concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I am a pretty conceptual designer and um, I'm, you know, I, I think about the medium being the message and things like that, and not just doing things to be decorative or, um, you know, superficial, but, but really thinking about the concept and the reasoning behind whatever design solution I come up with for a project.
0: Mm-hmm, the messaging. Yeah. So, so, I'm so excited that um, you've said all of this, and it's a complete fluke. My previous guest um, is very, very passionate about um, protest art and free art, and we got into a great conversation about it. Huh. Um, so her ask it forward question ties into all of that. So I'm excited oh. now to hear your <laughs> answer to that and, and get to that. But before then, um I want to know if there's designers or brands that you currently look up to or closely follow and what is it about them that you like?
1: Yeah, you know, I kind of struggled with this question because I don't think that there is any one in particular that I Mm -hmm. follow or, uh, you know, like this morning I watched Lizzo's performance at the VMAs and was like, wow, that was amazing, you know? So it's just (laughs) kind of like whatever (laughs) pops up on my radar. Um, And I'm always looking at, you know – in terms of design, I'm always looking at like packaging, um, because we do a lot of product packaging for food and beverage and stuff like that. So I look at a lot of packaging design in those realms or like, um, cosmetic design and stuff like that, but I don't know who the designer is. I'm looking at the product. I'm not as interested in the personality behind it. Um, but I really look beyond design. You know, I look at fine art. I look at craft. Um, I look at music, um, I love graphic novels, you know, I, anything Chris Ware does, I think is genius. And I devour his work whenever it comes out. Um, so it's, I, I'm influenced by a lot of stuff around me. I'm influenced by travel, even though I can't afford to travel as often as I'd like. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I think it's important to look at design so you know what's going on. Um, but I think it's also really important to have a broader range of influences and be more well-rounded.
0: Oh, really well said. And pulling inspiration and um, maybe inspiration is the right word, but from everywhere.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Got it. Um, So I wanted to, you had touched on this briefly with your answer in this last question about working on, you know, a lot of food packaging, product packaging. And I wanted to ask you about print and packaging and how you are seeing that utilized in your studio and with the companies that you're working with
1: hmm Well, we really do mostly print and packaging. We do branding, um, and then pretty much all of the actual like tangible applications of design we do are print and packaging. Um, and it's you know I'm a very tangible, hands-on kind of person, so. I'm really happy doing that kind of work. That's where I feel the most comfortable. That's where I, you know, I just really love paper and print and foil and emboss and, and all the techniques that go into print design, because I like a tangible object that I can hold in my hands and have like an intimate um, relationship with.
0: You're speaking my language.
1: <laughs> I know. That's why you asked the question. Um <laughs> And, you know, I think sometimes we we worry that we're sort of at a disadvantage because we don't really do a lot of digital. And increasingly, that's what clients want. They want somebody who can do all of that, from digital to print to everything in between. Um, and, you know, so that's something we sort of struggle with because it's not in our, it's not something we really do. I mean, we art direct when there's a digital component to a project, but we don't execute it. Mm-hmm. Um and so we're kind of at a point with our studio where we're like, well, should we just kind of lean into that and own it and say, hey, we specialize in branding, print and packaging. That's what we do. Um, or should we try and incorporate, you know, more digital through partnerships or something like that? So it's kind of it's something that we struggle with. You know, I I would be happy doing print all day long and not having to worry about that. But I don't think it, currently the way the industry is, I don't think we have the luxury of just ignoring that there's a need for digital.
0: Yeah, and actually a growing need for print and digital to interact with one another in unique yeah. ways.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like when I talk to digital designers or UX designers, they talk about sort of creating a seamless experience from the real world to the digital world. And and I get that. And as a consumer of design or technology, I appreciate that when it feels like a seamless transition but my brain doesn't (laughs) really work that way. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I kind of feel like leave that to the experts. I'm good at what I do. There are people who are really good at what they do, and hopefully we can figure out a way to make it work together.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you guys are experts in the print and packaging space, and you understand the importance of that still and the relevance of that still.
1: Yeah, Um, and so, you know, we've tried to really focus on food and beverage because that is not going to go digital, you know. No. That always is going to need actual, tangible packaging.
0: Definitely. Is there a sort of recent printer packaging project that is really, you know, stuck to your heart that you're really proud of that you could talk about?
1: Well, we are one of our biggest clients is AnSax Tile. They are a tile company based in Portland, and they they make ceramic art tile here in Portland, and then they import glass and metal and you know tile of every substrate you could imagine from around the world um and we've been working with them for i don't know eight or nine years now Mm -hmm. and all the work we do for them i continue to be really proud of because they create really beautiful artisan product they really prize design and um art and have a really refined um aesthetic and so You know, whenever we do a catalog or a collateral piece for them, um, they're really happy to kind of push the limits of print design and incorporate foils and and emboss and beautiful typography and beautiful photography. So um, we just completed a new catalog for them, which I'm actually going to get my hands on today, I think, for the first time. Um, Last week when we were trying to schedule this podcast interview, I was at a 16-hour press check for that. For that piece. so um, But it's, you know, I'm really excited to see it. I have all the pieces, you know, but I haven't seen the Bound book yet. Um, So I'm always really proud of of the work that we do for them, and I'm glad we get to continue working with them.
0: That's cool. So why do you think that they go with a printed catalog in this digital world?
1: Well, they do both. Um, But I think because they make such a tactile artisan product um, and they're – prime audience is um, interior designers who have a really hands-on relationship with their clients i think that's why they still need print you know it's they they work with actual tile samples and then they have printed um, collateral to help you know support and mm-hmm. inform their consumers and i think that real hands-on tactile experience is, is a big part of their business
0: got it excellent i really like the way you said that The next couple of questions I have for you, Rebecca, take you down part of your career where you probably made some mistakes and you learned some (laughs) lessons. And I really want to pull those stories and lessons out and share those with the listeners. Um, But after that, I promise I'll turn it around and we'll finish up in a happy place. Okay. Um, What has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging and how did you get through it?
1: Yeah, you know, I think honestly, that might be right now. Um, Interesting. And a a lot of it is because I'm having a hard time focusing on design when I feel like uh, my country is being destroyed from within. Uh (laughs) And um, so I'm feeling kind of pulled in a few different directions. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that I'm an activist. Uh Um, I've been involved in gun violence prevention since um, 2013 when the um, Sandy Hook school shooting happened Uh uh, in Connecticut. Um, My daughter is the same age as those children were. And I personally have lost a family member to gun violence. And when that happened, I just, it, I, it broke something in me. And I said, I have to get involved in this issue. So uh-huh. that's been kind of my side gig, volunteer gig for the last six years. Um, and then, of course, the 2016 election here was um, really devastating. Uh-huh. So, um, I spend a lot of my free time on activism and politics, and trying to reconcile that with my, you know, work as a designer, and trying to find ways to incorporate the two and yes. how to evolve my practice as a designer to incorporate working for causes or candidates that I believe in. So, I'm sort of at a, a crossroads with that right now, personally, and and then you know, this isn't just my studio; it's my husband's studio too. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to balance all of that, with the fact that as a family, all of our eggs are in this basket of co-projects. So I do a lot of pro bono work for candidates and causes, but I need to make a living too, obviously. So Definitely. Um, we've been, you know, starting to to do some more paid work in that realm. We just did um, a rebranding project for our congressman, um, which was really gratifying Um, and so just, you know, it's trying to figure out how to move in that direction where I can feel like I'm making a difference, um, using my skills to make a difference and, um, really incorporating my, you know, personal passions into my, um, professional
0: life. Using your skills to make a difference. That is really well said. That's, that really stuck out to me there. Oh, thanks. Um, Can you now take us to a design or a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result? Maybe it was a presentation that just took a nosedive or a press check that went sideways or anything like that. I I, want to know how that felt and I want to hear about that story.
1: Yeah. So again, this was kind of a thought provoking question and there, you know, there are always projects that go sideways for a lot of different reasons. Um, but one that stuck out to me actually kind of went off the rails really because of external factors that had nothing to do with us. Mm -hmm. Um, we had been, it didn't really go off the rails, but it just didn't have the desired results. So we, we had been working on a beer packaging project for, um, a gluten-free beer And it was a startup um, brewery. And we came up with what I thought was a really brilliant concept and name and packaging and design. I mean, everything just came together so perfectly. We were really, really proud of it. And um, the client just ran out of funding and couldn't get that project off the ground. But at the same time, we were approached by a different brewery um, to do their branding. And we declined because we felt ethically like it was sort of a conflict of interest to work on these two um, breweries that could potentially be competitors. So Mm -hmm. we declined the second um, beer packaging project, and that went on to be wildly successful. (laughs) We actually referred a friend uh, to do the branding for that, and she did a great job, and it looks beautiful, and it's been hugely successful. And so I see it everywhere everywhere. And it always gives me sort of a stab of regret, um, because the one that we, you know, opted to to work on didn't get off the ground. And there's this great design just sitting there that we can't show anybody. Uh, and the one that we we declined um, has gone on to be really successful. So, Kind of, you know, I'm I'm happy for them, and I'm happy for our friend who did the branding for it. But uh, mm-hmm. it kind of hurts a little bit every time
0: I see it. Definitely, that's such a tough spot because, uh, like you said, you know, you're really happy for your friend, and you want to support the rest of the community. But at the same time, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, maybe the term is a little bit of ego involved. We're like, ah, I wish I had my stamp on that.
1: Yeah. And right. we, you know, we were, we were trying to be ethical and so nobody asked us, like, are you working on for, on another beer brand? We, you know, full disclosure, we're doing this and we feel like maybe we shouldn't work on both at the same time. And we thought, you know, I mean, I'm still proud that we were ethical in our business practices. So, you know, I just try and hang on to that and that's more important.
0: Definitely. <laughs> you, made the, you made the right choice in the end. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to turn this around and I want to hear about a project that you've been a part of, that you're the most proud of one that just makes your heart sing.
1: Okay. So this kind of gets back to, um, you know, my activism and, um, my volunteering. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's a very small piece that I did about a year ago for, um, the gun violence prevention organization that I'm a part of moms demand action for gun sense. Mm -hmm. Um, their fifth anniversary was last year and for their fifth anniversary, they launched a capsule collection of commemorative t-shirts, um, with a group of fashion designers. Um, so people like Cynthia Rowley and Christian Siriano, they each designed a shirt. Um, there were a few other designers whose names are escaping me at the moment. And then they wanted to have one designed by, you know, a longtime volunteer with the organization and they reached out to me to do it. And, um, it was really, it was really an honor for me to kind of be asked to do that. And and again, like I said earlier, um, lend my skills to a cause that is really important to me and really close to my heart. So um, I designed a t-shirt for the fifth anniversary and it was a bestseller. And, um, you know, I have friends all around the country that are part of this organization and they were all really happy to, to buy it. I'm really proud to be photographed wearing it. And you know, every time I see somebody wearing it in Arkansas or Iowa or Alaska or you name it, it just uh-huh. makes me so happy to see my work um, going to this cause that's really near and dear to my heart.
0: That's so great. And what was the organization called again? Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Yeah, yeah that's powerful. Seeing that you know, how far it spreads and where, you know, where people are sharing your message and how all over North America. That's incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really gratifying. And it also kind of strangely felt like a weaving together of all these threads in my life. You know, I had sort of started out being interested in fashion, and I worked in the fashion industry. And, you know, had this interest in activist art and it kind of felt like a culmination of a lot of things all coming together.
0: So that was cool. Totally would feel that way for sure. Being in the apparel and things like that. Yeah. Nice. Um, Rebecca, what is one design product tool, website or community that you just can't live without?
1: You know, I think I would have to say pencil and paper.
0: Classic.
1: Um, you know, even though I don't hand draw as much as I used to or enough as I should. I think if that were taken away from me, I couldn't really function.
0: Definitely pencil and paper, like sketching and, and, you know, starting from that yeah, exactly. tangible lead on paper, that feel.
1: Right. Just writing down ideas, sketching them out, drawing, doodling. I, would feel like I had my hands cut off without that.
0: (laughs) Which we don't want. So (laughs) that's good. We'll let you have it. Um, (laughs) Rebecca, this is the part of the show for the Ask It Forward question. So as I mentioned, I have a question for you from my Mm -hmm. previous guest, and you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. Um, And I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything you want.
1: Okay. So the question I came up with is, do you think that technology is a net positive or a net negative for design and
0: for humanity in general? Ooh, nice question. You had that like loaded up, ready to go.
1: I'll, I'll admit, I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to get it
0: wrong. Yeah, I read it off the Post-it, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Perfect. No, nice question. I love that. I'm really looking forward to hearing the guest's uh, next guest's answer.
1: Yeah, I'll be curious to hear that too.
0: So the question that I have for you is... Definitely in your wheelhouse after mm. chatting with you. So, my previous guest was, <coughs> pardon me, sorry for the cough there. Um, my previous guest was Camilla Lonas, and she's the design director at Studio Number One by um, the Shepherd Fairies Studio. Mm-hmm. Um, protest art and free art is a big passion of hers, and she's heavily involved in it in a number of different ways, for, from women's marches to empowering other groups and supporting protest. It was a really, really great interview. Cool. So her question is comes from a couple of different angles, so just bear with me while I get through it here for you. Um, do you feel it is a designer's place to choose what you want to communicate from either guiding your client's messaging to being selective on your, on who you work with based on their messaging.
1: Okay. So that sounds like a two part question. So can you repeat that? (laughs) Yeah,
0: for sure. So I, yeah, the other way I could say this here too, is do you feel it is your responsibility to communicate messaging and only work with clients who align with your values and the messages you want to share?
1: I don't know if it's one's responsibility. Personally, that's how I choose to operate in the world. I mean, I think it's up to every designer to operate in a way that they're comfortable with. Um, I have turned down um, projects in the past that Sorry, can we start over again? There Mm -hmm. was just some some ambient noise in the studio that distracted me.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Let me uh, start from the top of the question because I kind of botched asking it. Okay, let's start over. And refresh. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of a two-part question. So I'll say the first part and then I'll get into the second part and then I'll wait for your answer here. Um, Do you feel it is a designer's place to choose what you want to communicate? And... The secondary part of this is, do you feel it's your responsibility to only work with and communicate based on or work with clients that are related and aligned with your values?
1: Mm, Okay. So I'll take the the second part of that first. I personally, that is how I operate. I work with clients who are aligned with my values. Absolutely. And Mm. I have turned down... Projects and clients that do not align with my values. Um, we were approached once by um, a retailer who sells guns, and I said, "I'm sorry, I can't, I can't work with you." And they actually were very understanding about it. Um, and I won't work with, um, you know, big tobacco or. Mm-hmm you know, um, oil companies or things like that. Not that any of those have ever approached me, but you know, there are places that I would draw the line in terms of, um, social responsibility and, and social justice. And, you know, I can't, it's not for me to impose that value system on other designers. Um, I would hope that most designers work that way and work ethically and, and, um, follow their own moral compass. But for me, yes, I definitely try and work with, um, Clients that I can feel proud of and can feel like I'm not, um, you know, advancing the bottom line of somebody who's doing something or selling something that I don't support.
0: Mm-hmm. So I want uh, to actually ask you just quickly about that. When you were approached by that retailer and you turned down that project, was that a, a difficult decision or was it really, really easy and just felt natural to pass on it?
1: It was really easy, actually. I didn't, it was unequivocal. Like, no, I can't. Cool. I mean, I think there probably are um, instances where it's not that cut and dry, um, but this one was easy.
0: Definitely. So then do you feel it is a designer's place to choose or guide client messaging?
1: You know, I mean, again, I think it's really, um, it really depends on the project and the client. Um, We personally, we try to partner with our clients and work with them to ascertain what message they're trying to communicate and find the best way to communicate that. And, you know, obviously sometimes that's really easy. Sometimes you butt heads with them. Sometimes you really have to educate them and bring them along. You know, it really, it varies with every project. So I don't think that it's my place as a designer to impose a mindset or a worldview or a a direction on a client that doesn't fit them or doesn't fit their project. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, you know, if you maybe tease out a direction that they didn't see and you can persuade them, I mean, I think persuasion is a big part of what we do as designers, both persuading the client and persuading the audience. Um, and so, you know, I think that that can definitely be at play, but it it varies and it's a fine line between imposing something on them or bringing them along to see something they hadn't seen before as a possibility.
0: Mm-hmm. I really like the way you said that. So in some ways, it's a little bit harder to get to that point where both parties are satisfied and feel good about the messaging. But in some instances, it's very black and white and very easy to go. Nope, not for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that there's those are sort of two different questions. I mean, if you're mm-hmm. if it's just like a packaging project for a beer, you know, probably there isn't going to be a lot of other baggage involved there you know maybe it is i mean we i've seen beer packaging that i find incredibly sexist for example and mm-hmm. i find it offensive but for the most part it's beer you know and so that's a lot less of a loaded subject than a retailer who sells guns no pun intended definitely um so there's a big spectrum there in terms of how much you know a personal philosophy comes into play
0: mm-hmm. awesome Rebecca, that was so well answered. And the previous guest is going to love hearing that. Oh, thanks. Um, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I really appreciate your time and you sharing your story and your messaging um, with our audience.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It was definitely, it gave me a lot to think about as I went through the questions. So I appreciate it.
0: All right. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to episode 99 of the Quickie Podcast. I've got a little something special for episode 100. I've got a great guest who I have always admired and always look up to. um, And I also put together a little cool, um, I don't know what you call it, a little little something for you just to help designers and junior designers um, sort of get over a little bit of the nerves on that first print project. You know, when you're sending a file to a printer for the first time. So all of that and more tomorrow, Saturday morning for you, bright and early special guest, and a little something that you can take home if you'd like. So thanks again, and we'll see you tomorrow.